0: You're listening to episode 89 of the Journey to Launch podcast. Taxes 101 with Atia Brown. We are talking about everything taxes, so you don't want to miss it. Let's get started. T-minus 10
1: seconds. Welcome to the Journey to Launch podcast with your host, Jamila Souffrant, as a money expert who walks her talk. She helps brave journeyers like you get out of debt, save, invest, and build real wealth.
0: Join her on the journey to launch to financial freedom in, in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, hey, journeyers! Super excited to bringing you this conversation. We're going to be talking about taxes with Atiyah Brown from The Savvy Accountant. But before we get into that, I wanna let you know about a really special training that I'm doing on March 28th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time, and I'd love to have you there. I'm doing a free training all about, what do you think? Financial freedom and independence. I wanna give you some more tools and resources that you can apply to your life. I'm gonna be talking to you about how you can define where you are on your path on the journey to financial freedom the barrier stopping you from reaching financial freedom and lots more. And so please join us. It's free training. I want you to be there. Again, if you wanna come, go to journeytolaunch.com slash free class. There you'll see where you can register, you can sign up. Make sure you sign up because there are gonna be limited spots within this training and I want you to be there. So journeytolaunch.com slash free class to make sure you join us on March 28th. All right, so back to Atia Brown. So we are gonna be talking about taxes. I know it's not the most exciting, fun topic, but it's something that we all have to deal with. We all have to pay and we need to make sure that we are utilizing and understanding our taxes the best we can. And so every year I like to kind of do a episode around taxes. Last year I had on Shane Mason, he was on episode 38 and we talked about taxes. So this year I wanted to bring on Atia talk a little bit more about the tax reform. So the tax changes that came into effect this year that affect a lot of us, what those were and what we should be looking out for when it comes to our taxes. We're also going to dive deeper into just some terminology, the difference between credits and deductions and all that fun stuff. And so really urge you to sit down and listen. And by the way, so if you are enjoying this content and you need more in-depth, resources and more of a class setting to learn this stuff. This is what the Launch Club, my membership community is all about. And actually Atia came in and did a class in our Launch Club about taxes. So everything you hear that she's talking about here, we go more into depth and it's better explained because you can visually see it in a presentation style. So if you want some more information and you want to join us, go to journeytolaunch.com slash launch club to join us and you can get access to Atiyah's presentation and other classes and things we have going on in the launch club. Let me tell you a little bit more about ATIA before we get into the episode. ATIA has always been a great supporter of journey to launch and she's a journeyer, but she's also a CPA, a CA, and a certified financial educator instructor. She's the creator of the Savvy Accountant where she specializes in helping individuals in the real estate industry. Live Financially Savvy, and she's their go-to accounting and tax advisor. She also has a podcast called Live Financially Savvy, where she facilitates the connection between people doing amazing things in their finance world to how to create generational wealth. So she is a girl after my own heart because this is all the stuff I love talking about. If you want any of the episode show notes for this episode, you can go to journeytolaunch.com. Slash episode 89. This is episode 89 to get any of the links. And as always, make sure you're following me on social media at journey to launch. So I can see what you thought of the episode. Tag me, let me know any takeaways. And excited to have you here. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Atia. Hey journeyers, super excited to bring you this action pack information-packed episode with journeyer, so fellow journeyer, atia Brown, who is going to be giving us some information around taxes. So it's tax time. This is something really important that we all have to do. We all have to pay taxes and wanted to bring on Atiyah, who is a tax expert to talk us through just what we should know, some misconceptions and any tips we can have. So Atia welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So before we get into all this amazing and fun tax information, (laughs) I wanted to just dive a little bit deeper into your background because you are a journeyer. You have always been so supportive of my content and the podcast. You even are a member of the Launch Club and you did a presentation in the Launch Club about the things you're about to talk about, but wanted to kind of dive Deeper into your story before we get into the tax stuff about where you are currently now with your business and money
1: and where you are on the journey. So, just
0: tell the other journeyers about yourself.
1: Okay. So, I'm Atiyah. I go by the Savvy Accountant Online. I'm a CPA CA by trade. So, I have my certification from Canada. I'm originally from Montreal in Canada. I'm first generation born to Caribbean parents. So I'm Trini Jakin. I have a... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, me and my siblings kind of t- coined that term. So I moved to the States about 10 years ago after I passed my exam. Me and... He wasn't my husband at the time, but we moved here. We had our kids. And so I've been working in accounting and tax for about 15 years now. I started off with Big Four. I started off working and, public accounting. And then I moved to the private industry. And I've been in the private industry for about eight years now.
0: Okay. And you've also moved. So I know that you've changed like locations because when we first started connecting, you were on the East Coast up here. Now you're in the South um, in Florida, right? Yes. <laughs> and then your business has evolved too. So talk us a little bit through just, their transition from, and I mean, I believe you still work full time, but just how you are handling now having the savvy accountant on the side and how you help individual businesses also. And and as your side hustle.
1: Yeah, we moved around a lot. We first moved to New Jersey, then we moved to Chicago and back to Jersey. And now we're in Florida. So my husband's job keeps us moving around a lot. And so I still work in corporate, but I do the savvy accountant on the side. And so what I do is I work with the real estate industry, actually, and I'm their go-to accounting and tax advisor. And so I help them stay basically financially savvy with their accounting and taxes. So I make sure that everything's up to par. I handle all the back end for their accounting. And yeah, I'm looking to grow that so that I'm not doing both at the same time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. So you're looking to grow Savvy Accountant into your full-time thing. Now, do you help
1: individual real estate investors or companies? Yeah. So I work with both, but I don't work with individuals on taxes per se. I do the taxes for the individuals that I work with on their business.
0: Got it. Got it. Which is why I think this is going
1: to be a really like great conversation because there's so many
0: people listening who have businesses who want to start businesses. So I definitely want to get into how having a business can help you with your taxes and decrease tax liability. But first, let's just like get down into some tax tips. So it's tax time. People are filing their taxes. If they're like me, then they're probably waiting to the last minute. (laughs) So (laughs) let's go through some like high level. Tax tips and why it's important to be tax efficient. Because that's what I really want to like teach people that it's important to like lower tax liability, to pay your taxes, but to also
1: be smart about it. And that's how the wealthy people do it, right? Exactly. And so there are some ways that you can be efficient with it, and that starts with being organized. I think that you know we all, a lot of us tend to wait to the last minute to do stuff with our taxes, but when you wait the last minute, you risk missing something. And so it's better to stay organized throughout the whole year so that you're able to know what needs to be filed, especially with the new tax laws that are changing. Like you want to stay on top of it. So you want to be in connection with your tax preparer or CPA throughout the whole year so that nobody's caught off guard. Nobody's missing anything with all the changes that happened. It's not like how it was in past years where everything was kind of pretty much the same for a lot of people. Nothing really changed. But now with the new tax reform, everybody needs to be aware of all the changes and they need to be on top of them. So my suggestion is to go over all the tax changes that affect you, that you think affect you and your tax preparer, your CPA is going to talk to you about this stuff and go over it ideally before it's time to actually file so that you guys are on the same page. You guys know what needs to be done. So that's one of the main things that I recommend for people to do, especially now with the 2018, 2019 changes happening. You guys got to be aware of everything happening. So go back to your prior year return, look at what affected you then and how all the changes are going to impact you going forward.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. So what are some of the big changes that have been implemented this year that people that would affect most people or that you should be looking out for? Okay, so
1: it's hard to narrow it down, but I'll try to narrow it down to like four or five changes. So the standard deduction change is probably like a big one that individuals are going to be seeing this year. So typically, if you were a single filer, your standard deduction was about $6,000. And currently now it's 12000 So they kind of doubled everything. So single was about 6300 head of household was 9,300 and filing married filing jointly was about 12,700. And now they've they've basically doubled everything. So now if you're single, or married filing separately, you're going to be you're going to get $12,000. If you're head of household, you're going to get 18,000. And if you're married filing jointly, it's going to be 24,000. And so what this is, it's basically it's a deduction that you get when you're filing your taxes, and they increased it, they doubled it because they want to steer people away from basically itemizing. And so in the past, a lot of people itemized, they itemized because they had that option. So you could have taken the standard deduction or you can itemize your deductions and which one was higher, you would use that one on your return. So they're trying to basically steer people away from itemizing and they're giving them this bigger deduction, hoping that they're going to be more enticed to use the standard deduction because they want to simplify the tax filing. That's what this code was supposed to do.
0: (laughs) Right. So, I mean, I know everyone is different. Everyone's situation is different. So is this beneficial to the average person
1: or not like this change? So it depends on your situation. I actually think that it could be beneficial for a lot of people that didn't have itemized items. So if you didn't have itemized items and you were doing the standard deduction already, this would be beneficial because you're going to get basically double what you got In prior years. So it could definitely be beneficial. It's hard to say most people, because especially now with the rise of entrepreneurship, a lot of people are doing tax returns differently than they were in the past when they just had their regular W-2. So it's hard to say what most people get affected, but I can tell you if you never did itemize because it wasn't beneficial for you and you only did standard, then this double of the standard deduction would help you. Mm-hmm. And
0: then things like itemized
1: would be like if you, what? Let's give some examples. So itemized would be like SALT, is a big one now. So that's another one that I was going to talk about. So SALT stands for state and local taxes deduction. And so in prior years, you were able to deduct your state taxes and your local taxes, which includes like your property taxes and other municipal taxes that you pay. And so there's certain states that their property taxes are super high. So they were able to deduct all of whatever they pay for that year for their property taxes, their state taxes. They were able to deduct that underneath the new tax reform. That's actually capped at $10,000. So if you're in a high property tax state, like California, New York, New Jersey, um, Connecticut, this is going to affect you because I know personally, our property taxes were basically the cap so we're not we're losing out on that and so it's definitely going to affect a lot of people so state taxes property taxes those are a type of itemized taxes you have your interest on your like your interest on your mortgage those are other itemized areas that you can be taking and if it totaled more than your standard deduction you would be doing the itemized so that's a big one that basically has been capped at $10,000 and I think that's actually going to affect a lot of people in high tax states. Right. And I know there were a lot
0: there was a lot of conversation around this when they were proposing this. And now that it's implemented, like you said, like this is the first time people are going to be seeing this change. So it's going to be really important to like follow up on this or at least uh, be able to expect and anticipate some of these changes. Now, one of the things I do want to clarify, because this might be tripping some people up, is the difference between the deductions and the credits, because you hear the terms thrown around and they're not the (laughs) same, right? Like, so let's talk about that.
1: (laughs) So I do love this conversation and I hope I don't get too technical because I I just love numbers and the way it's explained to me, I, I get it. So I'm gonna try to explain it so that everybody can understand it. So they both reduce your tax liability. So I'm just gonna put that out there. That's how they are similar, But the way they're different is that the deductions actually reduce your tax liability by your marginal tax rate. So think of it as your deductions are being taken away from your income to come to the number that you're going to actually calculate your taxes owed on. So let me know if you follow from there. And credits actually reduce your tax liability like dollar for dollar. So credits reduce your tax liability after it's calculated what you owe tax, like what amount of taxes you owe. Right, right. So it's kind of like above the line. And then after you figure out what you owe in taxes, credits affect that. Okay, and then one of them, you
0: actually get money back for, right? Like it's a dollar for dollar return. So talk about
1: that. So credits can actually be refundable or non-refundable. And so what that means is that if you have a tax liability and then you apply credits, if you have refundable tax credits that you're applying, you can actually get a refund in more that you were actually going to pay back. And so it could actually generate a bigger refund for you. Um, non-refundable t- credits, basically, you can use them up until your tax liability is zero. Mm-hmm. And what are just some examples of refundable
0: versus non-refundable credits?
1: So there's different ones in each category. So for example, like the child, the child tax credit, that's a refundable tax credit up until a certain limit. So it depends on your gross income. And then there's like caps on it once you hit a certain threshold. So certain credits are gonna be refundable up until a certain point. So your child tax credit, your education credits, it depends on what you choose. And there's also like for education credits, there's several different credits that are available to you. And so you would just talk to your taxpayer on which one is better for your situation because they, they offer different things. And so depending on basically your tax liability and how many, like if you're in school full time, which credit would be applied to you.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's the thing. So in the financial independence space and in the personal finance space, there's a lot of DIY, right? And there's nothing wrong with that because, you know, people are trying to just have their dollar go as far as they can save as much money as you can. So, the thought process of hiring a professional, sometimes it's like, you know, I could do it myself. And I actually came across this. So for the last couple of years before um, I'd say I really started getting into Journey to Launch and maximizing like this business, I, I tried to do it myself. And I was like, okay, I'm doing this. Like, it makes sense. I use TurboTax and it was it's doing fine. It walked you through some things. And then I got to the point where I said, you know what? I rather have a professional look at this and I hired uh, someone to do it for me, especially because me having this plan to leave my job, I knew that our, our income would change drastically. You know, our pre-tax and post-tax retirement contributions would be dramatically affected depending on when we diverted money from the pre-tax stuff to just cash. I knew all of that would matter a lot. And so I did hire someone. So is there a point in which someone should really look at hiring a professional to do some of this work for them or to explain it to them. I know there's there's different thoughts around it. I'd love to hear your opinion. I mean, I know that you are a professional doing this, but would love to hear like the point at which someone should consider hiring
1: someone. And I think you hit it right on the head. I don't think there's anything wrong with doing it yourself when you have simple returns. Um, I, I definitely agree with living financially savvy myself. And if you can do it yourself, if you have, like you and your husband have W-2s, you guys have your childcare. Like, it's pretty simple, you, you can tackle it yourself. You Like you said, you used one of those services and they check things for you. I really don't see a problem with that. It's when you start changing things, things start getting more complicated. And when, if you do miss something, it's gonna be really detrimental to you. So you said you wanted to stop working and that would affect your accounts and how you guys are gonna withdraw money because you won't be working anymore. These are things that if you miss something, it's gonna mess up your households and your guys plan to get to financial independence potentially. So I think that's the perfect time when things change and it's out of your control, that's when you should speak to a professional. And there's a lot of professionals that you can do consults with. You sit down for two hours, they can walk you through what you need to do because a lot of people work like that. Like there are professionals who work with you so that you can do a DIY, but you do it correctly.
0: Mm, Yeah, I love that actually that it's not necessarily that, you have to hire someone ongoing, but even just to get the educational part of it, because you maybe you want to do it yourself because you enjoy like sitting down and doing that. Like that's totally, yeah, another option. Yeah. So, you know, a question that comes up a lot is just in terms of being tax efficient and reducing liability. So depending on if you are at a certain income level, there is this thought process that you should be contributing more to pre-tax retirement accounts so that you can lower your tax liability. And the idea is- In retirement, when you're now taking out this money, depending if you are gonna have a lower tax rate at that point, it's gonna make more sense to funnel money into the pre-tax stuff and maximize it. And then there's a thought process of if you're at a certain income level, it's better to use post-tax retirement accounts like Roth IRAs. So do you have any thoughts around that or rules of thumb, quote unquote, until which one someone should focus on depending on their income level?
1: So I tend to not give my thoughts around it i do think that both theories have their place and they both make logical sense so i think it depends on it's a client by client basis on what they think their future is going to look like because granted if you think that in your retirement you're going to be at a lower tax bracket because all you're going to be drawing from is that income and so that does apply to you but what happens if your side hustle blows up and then you are making a whole lot of extra money in your retirement days then your tax bracket does change. And it's kind of hard to foresee if that's going to happen. So I think once you sit down with your professional and you guys figure out a plan, then you can actually work your plan and go that way. I don't think there's one right way versus another. And I think that's obvious the way it is because they have these different options.
0: Right. You know, I agree with you. It's like no one size fits all. So when someone does ask me that, it's like, you know, it depends. It depends on kind of what your plan is. Are you intending to retire early? Are are these your high income earning years? And like you said, you're just going to chill. Like you don't really have a, a, like this force and will to like create this side hustle that's going, that you are expecting to become like a million dollar company. It's like, it all depends on all these factors. Uh, so I'm glad you did qualify that with that uh, statement. Okay. So <laughs> when it comes to business, right? So whether that's side hustle, and someone's working full time, and they have a side hustle on the side, or they're jumping into full time entrepreneurship, like me, what are the benefits of having a business and taxes? Let's talk through that a little bit.
1: Yeah, so what I like to tell people is when you have a side hustle, you want to think about legitimizing it as soon as possible. Because look at it this way businesses are able to deduct necessary and reasonable deductions. And so I talked about deductions before that's taking your income and it's reducing it. So the amount that you end up with that you're going to actually be calculating your tax liability on, it's going to be lowered, right? When I'm just a person, just regular old Atia, after I come home from my job, if I go to Staples because I'm missing, I need paper for home, I have to buy that with my debit card, my credit card. I buy that. There's no deduction that Atia is getting for that. So there is so much more benefits tax-wise for when you are forming an entity, a separate entity for your business that you're able to funnel these deductions through and it's basically gonna help your tax liability. And depending on what entity you choose, it's actually gonna help your personal tax liability because a lot of these entities, when you're starting small businesses, if you're gonna start them off, you're actually gonna probably do a pass-through entity. And so it's gonna be going to your own tax return and what pass through means it's going to pass through to your individual tax return. And so it's going to be a benefit for you. And so you're going to be able to funnel these deductions and it's going to help your business with reducing the tax liability of your business. Mm
0: -hmm. And some people get stuck at the point where they don't know how viable their side hustle is or how long they intend to do it. And then so the startup costs to make it official, So whether that's, you know, becoming an LLC and, you know, so I guess the first question I should ask you is what makes a business viable? Is it then creating an entity like an LLC or can it just be a sole proprietorship where you don't have to pay any entity related formation fees?
1: Again, there's different ways you can look at it. Um, If we look at it from liability and I'm not talking tax liability, I'm talking about liability if you get sued if something happens when you're doing your your side hustle and something happens and somebody wants to sue you liability comes into play and now if you don't have a separate entity for your business you open yourself up to liability of your personal assets come into play people need to realize that anything can happen when you are in the public eye and you're seen as a business people can come after you because they perceive that you're a business. And if you're not covered for liability purposes, your personal assets are now coming into play. And so this is the main reason that I tell people to legitimize their side business is so that it separates you from the business so that your assets, your family's assets, that's all protected. And the business assets, those are also protected. That's one of the main reasons that I tell people to legitimize their business. Aside from the tax liability benefits, you don't want the Liability of anything happening outside when you're doing your business to fall onto you and your family, and so I think that creating a separate entity from the beginning is important for that.
0: Right, and for more tips on that, the legal side of things, I'm going to shout out Art Steele from the Ink Secure podcast because she talks all about that legitimizing your business on from the legal side of things. So I, I love to sh- her. Yeah, I wanted <laughs> to shout her out because I I love her <laughs> stuff too. So okay. So going back to how you can, so once your business is legitimized and you have an entity, I know you said you can pass through some expenses. What are some other benefits that outweigh maybe the cost of forming this entity that really like just pay for itself in the long run when you make it official with taxes and everything?
1: Yeah, so think of your home office. So that's gonna be something that you're gonna be able to deduct From your business, you designate a section of your house that you're only going to do work in. So it has to be, you know, the IRS is not just giving people free money, right? So (laughs) it has to be designated for business. It has to be able to be separated. Nothing else happens there. It doesn't even have to be a full room. So I think a lot of people hear that it has to be designated for business. And if they have a home office, but there's like a bed or something in there, just the area that you designate has to be solely for that. And then you can take that square footage as percentage of the entire square footage of your house. And then you can deduct things like your mortgage, your interest, your property taxes, all that stuff can be deducted through the business. Mm -hmm. So that's something that wouldn't be available to you if you didn't have a business, because in the prior tax law, um, you were able to like deduct home office costs, But they removed that. So there was something called miscellaneous deductions, and those were allowed to be as part of your tax return. And that was actually repealed with the tax reform. So that's not an option for people that have they have their regular job and they're able to work from home. Let's say they used to be able to deduct deduct some of their home costs because they were able to work from home. They designated an area for working from home. That's actually that's been repealed. So that's not you're not allowed those miscellaneous deductions anymore.
0: Mm, Okay, so are you saying that if you work full time, you you no longer can claim miscellaneous deductions like in a home office, but if you have like a business that is
1: an entity, then you you can still claim home deductions? You can claim necessary and reasonable expenses. And so necessary and reasonable, that's basically what expenses you're incurring to run your business. And so that's gonna include when you work from home, It includes your property taxes, your mortgage and all that stuff. It includes everything you buy that you need to run your business, all the software that you have. There's a lot of deductions that I see that small businesses miss, like bank fees, obviously supplies and stuff like that. But any software that you're paying for to run your business, all of these are necessary and reasonable deductions that you're able to claim through your business.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So I'm going to just back up with you just a little bit because I want to make sure
1: I understand and I know if maybe if it was unclear
0: for anyone else listening. So what was taken away with the new tax law?
1: So there was a section that you were able to claim miscellaneous deductions. And so one of those main ones that people did was home office deductions. Like when you worked from when you had a job and you worked from home and you were able to do that because your employer allows you to work from home you were able to deduct those on your tax return and those are no longer allowed. It was like the 2% miscellaneous deductions.
0: Okay, so if you have um, other questions around this, this is like a perfect time to consult with your CPA, your tax preparer, because then you can ask them these specific questions and they should be able to like walk you through with this. So, so for me, I'm meeting actually my tax preparer, like next week, these are some questions I'm gonna ask how it relates to my situation now that I'm doing this full time and this is more official than it was a couple years ago. So, okay. One of the reasons why I wanted you to, to come on and talk about this, you know, this, like I was joking around when I was saying earlier, oh, this is going to, you know, we're talking about this fun subject, but it is one of these things that I feel like people need to understand more because this is how the wealthy stay wealthy. They use laws, they use the tax laws to their advantage uh, to, build wealth, to protect wealth, and to pay less taxes. And I'm not against actually paying taxes. I know some people like complain about it, but I do think at the end of the day, we do need to pay to make this government run no matter how yeah. bad we think it is, right? Something like it. we need to pay our share. So can you talk a little bit about just, I know you probably work and you see some wealthy individuals and like kind of like their strategies. And maybe if you could take some tidbits away about like what we as, middle class to upper middle class and working our way up to that level, what we need to be doing uh, differently, or we should be implementing in our lives?
1: One is actually starting a business. Um, I know we touched upon that, but that's a main way that the wealthy actually remain wealthy. Because like I said, there are so many deductions that you could funnel through a business that you just do not have as an individual. And So they're able to do that by having all these businesses. And if you know many wealthy people, you'll notice that they have a lot of businesses set up. They have businesses set up for their real estate. They have businesses set up for whatever business they have on the side. But they set everything up in businesses because they understand the shelters that these businesses create for them. So I just want to stress that enough that that's a major step in protecting your wealth. Is creating a business and running a business because you can pass that down, so that's generational, and it helps you currently in ways that just being an individual and working your nine-to-five grind it just is not possible to do. Right, right. And
0: you said you work with real estate professionals, and I'm curious. I, you know, you see like these things floating around on the internet, and they talk about okay, you should. Use real estate also as, you know, a method in which to help with taxes and reduce liability. How does one who is, whether they are a novice real estate investor, so they own one property, you know, with your taxes and whatever deductions you get for your primary home. But what about the investor who wants to buy more than one unit and kind of expand their real estate empire?
1: What are some tax strategies around that? Oh, wow. So with real estate, there are so many, man, there's so many ways that you can defer your taxes, is what I would call it. So when you're a real estate investor, there are so many things that you have as a real estate investor. There's something called depreciation, which is basically a way that you can defer your tax payment because you take this expense and you basically depreciate whatever asset is on the books and you depreciate it over a certain amount of time. So this asset is actually reducing your tax liability, the amount of years that you have it. And if you do sell a property, this depreciation does come into income, but there's ways that you can actually avoid that. When if you're buying a property and you're getting another property and you do a 1031 exchange, that's another way for you to defer your taxes because the government created 1031 exchanges where you basically it's like you're rolling one property into another property so you're rolling the tax liability to the other property so you're actually not going to have to pay your tax liability on that property from that sale because you rolled it into another one so there are stipulations against this uh, not against it but there're stipulations that apply to it so everybody can't do it like you have certain amount of days that you can actually roll the property over for it to be considered a 1031 exchange so that you can actually realize those tax benefits and not pay the taxes. So you have to make sure that your deals are actually really tight. But there are so many ways to keep wealth within your business when you're dealing with real estate. And it's basically created that way. I'm not sure if you heard about opportunity zones, but that's a new thing that was just recently created. And it's a way to get investors to invest in certain areas in America. And so they've designated certain areas as opportunity zones. And what that means is if you invest there, they give you a tax break on the properties that you purchase. So you're able to use your capital gains from any sales that that you've made and they generate capital gains. I can go back and say what capital gains are after. But if you invest into these opportunity zones, these qualified opportunity zones, you actually get to defer your tax penalty for those capital gains. And if you keep them in there for 10 years, then you actually are reducing the taxes on that those capital gains like indefinitely. So there's obviously stipulations that apply to these rules, but can you imagine not having to pay taxes on $500,000 capital gain because you reinvested it into an area that they designated as an opportunity zone? So a lot of wealthy people, this is going to benefit them because they have those capital gains that they can actually roll into these properties where they can invest in these areas. And so they will get those tax benefits. So I think that that's another way that real estate is able to continue to build wealth for people because they're actually not going to have to pay taxes on a lot of that money when otherwise they would be paying taxes on their capital gains.
0: Right. And the opportunity zones, those are not just limited to corporate and commercial real estate investors. Those could be regular investors like ourselves who want to go in.
1: Yes, it's open to everybody. But the stipulation with the opportunity zones are the funds that you use to buy those investments. They have to be capital gains. And so the premise behind that is that it's kind of like reinvesting. So it's not just taking cold, hard cash. It's Basically, you're investing the gains that you had from actually selling something else. So it's kind of like commerce, keeping the, the economy going. You had property, you sold it, you got a capital gain. Now you're using that capital gain to invest in these areas. And how is that different from the 1031 exchange? So the 1031 exchange deals only with real property. So these capital gains that you can use for opportunity zones don't have to come from real property. And so when I say real property, it doesn't have to come from you selling a home or selling land. 1031 is only real property. Okay,
0: okay. So the capital gains, if you wanted to invest in opportunity zone could come from where?
1: If you have like a really wonderful stock portfolio and it has a lot of gains, you can actually realize those gains and then you can invest in opportunity zones.
0: Ah, okay, all right. I didn't know that. So um, that's definitely something you know, someone is interested could look into more because I would think too, with this now push and kind of what I talk about is you know you're investing and you know you're investing in the market that there are some people in 10 15 20 years will have a portfolio that is spinning off in dividend income or just like gains where they could have enough money to do something like this and hopefully you know who knows where the tax code would be then but you'd hope that these kind of things are around but it just shows you just the ways in which you can be creative and the opportunities that are out there for you to create and build wealth
1: yep the only thing with that is that I'm not sure if the opportunity zones are going to last for 10 years, uh, right. so <laughs> but yeah, ideally that's what it's for, right? Like you sell property or stock or anything like that. And you get, if you have capital gains, you can use it to invest in those areas. And it's a wonderful opportunity for people to get in investing if they have capital gains, right? Right, right. Okay. So what are just some
0: most asked questions or common misconceptions you hear? Like when someone comes to you and they have tax questions, what is something that you see come up a lot?
1: Okay, so this one is probably gonna sound contradictory to everything I've been saying, but I have a lot of small businesses that just want to apply all of these deductions to their income, and then they wanna show that they made zero money so that they don't have to pay tax liabilities. And I always try to stress to them that, if you want your business to be taken seriously, if you want to expand, if you want to apply for loans, if, if you want to leverage your business in any way, your business financials are going to be what's going to be used. So when you go to apply for a mortgage, let's say, they use your pay stubs and that's what they use to see if you're a viable candidate to give you a mortgage to. Well, think about your business is basically an entity that's going to be representing itself. And if you keep loading all these deductions because you want to pay zero tax liability, you're going to look like your business is not viable. So whatever you want to use your business to leverage for something, it's going to look like your business is not viable and it's not going to be a good candidate for you to be leveraged to. So I try to tell people that all the time. While we talk about deductions and reducing your tax liabilities, you want to make sure your business is a viable business because that's what you got into business for. I would assume is that your business is viable and it's able to support you and your family And so if you pile on all these deductions and it keeps looking like you make zero, you're gonna look like you're not viable. So that's one of the misconceptions I think that people come with me all the time when they're small business. They just wanna show zero, so they pay zero. And so I try to talk to them about that and let them know basically what you're trying to do with your business. You need to consider that when you're trying to load all of these deductions to your business. Right, consider the other side of it. And I'd actually love that tip
0: Because it's so easy for us to get caught up in the, okay, we don't want to pay any taxes. We want to lower it, lower it. And then when it comes time where we do need to buy something or show that the business is legitimate and making money, there's no proof of that because you said you made no money last year, (laughs) right? (laughs) Okay, so what's something else that comes up a
1: lot? Traditionally, people really get excited around tax time because they get these huge refunds. And so I want to get people to think more about what huge refunds really mean, especially when you're an individual and you're working a corporate job, you get your W-2. I want you to really think about if you're getting a consistently huge refund every year, year after year, I want you to think about what that means. So what that means is that the government takes its money throughout the year because they need, like you said before, we everybody needs to pay taxes because we need to keep the government going. We need to keep the city going. These are things that we need to pay for. So they need an inflow of cash throughout the whole year. So what your job does is actually sends withholding taxes on your behalf to the government, every paycheck. And these withholding taxes are calculated based on when you filled out your allowance, when you started your job, you went to HR and you filled out your W-4 and you told them what allowances you you wanted to apply and they created your withholding taxes from that. When they send that off every paycheck and you do your tax return at the end of the year and you get a huge refund, that's usually an indication that you've sent way too much money in you're withholding taxes and the government's just been holding onto your funds for the entire year interest free. They gain interest on it, but you don't get interest on it. And they're simply returning the money back to you. So this is not in every case, because like we talked about refundable credits before. So you could be getting a refund because of refundable credits. I get that. But I'm talking about people who they're not getting refunds because of refundable credits. They're getting refunds because they just overpaid I want everybody to basically consider what you getting huge refunds year after year actually really means. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Such a good point.
0: When you don't know, it's like you get happy, like I'm getting this big refund and you get this chunk of money. And I know for some people who don't have the discipline to save, like they think that's a better option is to get maybe a lump sum at the end of the year. But you would think too, like if there's no discipline to save throughout the year, then getting that big check, how better is are you to then save that big chunk of money.
1: Exactly. And that's what I think. I think that you should basically go back to HR, fill out your W-4 and adjust your withholding taxes so that you are able to see a bigger take-home check and you take that difference. I mean, if like I want people to start being smart with it and just take that difference and automatically send it to a savings account so that you're able to save it throughout the year, you're able to save it at the interest rate that you decide to open an account in. And it's working for you on your terms instead of working for the government. And they get interest on your money. And then they just return to you the actual sum that you sent to them.
0: Right. No, like interest-free, basically you're giving them an interest-free loan, right? But interest-free, like they don't give you anything. Right. And if God forbid you owe them, they are coming after you with penalties. and Penalties, interest, everything. Right, right, right. These are some excellent tips. I feel like you know, sometimes these taxes and tax lingo and terms, it can get a bit heavy, but I really hope that we brought some information to the light where at least someone could take something, even if it's just one thing and say, you know what, I need to follow up on that. I need to ask my CPA or I need to hire a CPA, right? Like I hope it, this yep. <laughs> conversation sparks that for someone. So Atiyah, I want you to talk a little bit more about your journey. So I know you are also on the journey to financial independence And I'd love for you to kind of just share some wins you've had along the way in terms of financial wins or where you currently are on the journey.
1: So, I like to say that I'm on the journey to living financially savvy. I don't know if like the financial independence side of it scares me, but I'm on the journey to get my finances on order so that I'm able to eventually leave my corporate job and work my firm full time. So, I would still be working but I wouldn't be working corporate. And so that's where I'm going on my journey. And I think I've been making strides. I basically decided to start taking it serious. And so I've been doing a lot more on social media. I've been doing a lot more speaking engagements and I've just been getting it out there that I do this as opposed to just hoping that referrals come. And so I've been more proactive with that. So that's what I'm doing with the Savvy Accountant. I'm more proactive now. And I'm taking it to the next level where I'm actually marketing and I'm speaking at events and I'm just making it be known more.
0: And you know what, I love that for you, you're just honest about the whole financial independence thing because I think what stops a lot of people is, like at first they're just like, wait a second. One, I don't know if I'll ever be able to reach that in my working lifetime, depending on the starting point. And two, I really love this thing and I don't foresee myself never working again, which I think is a big misconception about the financial independence movement for a lot of people. Because for me, I think you can make the term whatever you want it to be. And so you can reach financial independence, but still say to yourself, well, I'm still going to work because there's no way that I'm I'm not. It's just a matter of you reach a point where you have all the options in front of you to choose what you want to do. So if you wanted to take off a year because you just had the money to do that, you could. Or if you wanted to work part-time doing volunteer work or travel with your kids, like you have those options and it's available to you because you've done all these things up to this point to get yourself financially savvy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, all right, tell everyone where they can find out more about you and how they can connect with you.
1: So they can find me on social media at the Savvy Accountant. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn as the Savvy Accountant. Or they can find me under Atia S. Brown. I also have a page on Instagram and Facebook under my regular Atia S. Brown name. So if they want to find me that way, they can do that. And they can find me at www.thesavvyaccountant.co. And I do want to say that on the definition of financial independence, you actually brought me to this world. And you were the first person I saw that looked like me that was doing this. And it sparked something. And I was like, wait, we can do this. And so I just wanted to shout that out before we ended.
0: (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's my whole goal is to show more and more people that this is possible. And it's just being on the journey is so worth it, even if your goals are totally different and unique. That's okay. So thank you so much for coming on, Atiyah. I love, love, love this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so hope you enjoyed the conversation with Atia all about taxes. Like I said, you know, taxes is not the most exciting thing to talk about, but I really like to give you the tools and resources that are gonna help you. Whether that ranges from just specific conversations around taxes to student loan debt to more technical things like this is what this podcast is here for you. It's to give you these resources. And if you want to go even deeper into what you're learning here on the podcast, you should join us in the Launch Club because everything that Atiyah talked about, we dive deeper in the Launch Club in her class that she presented in the Launch Club and more classes like that. And if you can't make a class live, you can always watch it on the replay. So I really encourage you to check it out. Again, go to journeytolaunch.com slash launchclub to find out more information. And as I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, we are having a free class next week, March 28th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time, all about financial freedom and mapping out your journey to get to your goals and I'd love to have you there. So make sure you register because I do suspect that a lot of the spots will be going fast and it's free. So why not come on, join us. Go to com slash free class to grab your seat right away. And as I mentioned before, I love hearing the things that you're learning from the podcast. I love seeing your reviews and just your feedback. So continue to send that in. It really does help. So when you are following me on social, so that's Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, I'm at Journeys Launch. Continue to at me, share it out with your family and friends. As you know, that's how we're going to get this podcast to grow and to reach more people and to help more people. All right. So until next week, Journeers, keep on journeying.